Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now we continue our fabulous series on the I Am Second movement with David Rodenberg. David spent many years searching for answers in all the wrong places. He says he felt like a loner and a freak in school after finding out he was bipolar, which led him to search for those answers, and then he stumbled upon a strip club. One night turned into every possible opportunity, every pay packet, every cent, and then when the money ran out, he started to steal to satisfy his addiction. David was then locked up for 12 years for robbing a bank. But in one moment, everything changed. David, welcome to Open House. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much indeed. David, you struggled, as I said, through your teen years at school. What prompted you to those feelings of inadequacy? Well, I just felt I'd never measured up with my peers, uh, primarily due to my learning disabilities. Uh, I had a very hard time uh, uh, learning, and it wasn't because I wasn't intelligent enough to do the work. I just couldn't do it as the teachers uh, seen fit for me to do. And so through the learning disabilities, I just I kind of I kind of got into an attitude of feeling like it was me against the world. And, uh, I started to hate everyone. I hated the teachers, my fellow students. Uh, I was just felt extremely inadequate. And I had a love of sports, and I was not very athletic, and I was not able to play the great American game of, of football. And that just about sent me over, because here was the one thing I really loved, and I was no good at it. About the age of 15 or 16, in high school, I was diagnosed as being bipolar. I was not real excited about that, because they told me I would need medication to help control this, and I wasn't sure that I bought into it. And this is about 20 years or so before people truly understood about bipolar. Absolutely. So to say something like that, that you had a, a mental deficiency, uh, was pe- people, and unfortunately, people in the Christian community as well felt like, you know, that that was just a, a lot of hogwash, that there wasn't, there, you know, you're making, you're making something, you're making something up is how a lot of people felt. You're just looking for something to grab onto, not take care of your problems and issues. You say you were lost and searching for something, searching for answers. How did that play out in your life, David? It didn't end up playing out too well uh, there in the near future. I knew the answer all along because as a child, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I clearly understood that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus uh, to be first in my life. But once I got off into high school, and after the learning disabilities and the disappointments and uh, becoming bipolar, you know, I wanted something to uh, grab onto to make me feel good. And I had never been very social, and uh, so getting along with, with girls in particular was very awkward to me. So at the end of high school, uh, I began looking at pornography and got into going to strip clubs when I was 18. And that basically became the uh, cocaine of my addiction uh, was going to strip clubs because the moment I walked in there the first time, I got attention from women. 
and I'd never had that before. And so with a combination of alcohol and uh, women who would do what I wanted as long as I had money, it just became uh, an obsession of mine. I, I, I could never get enough. And that's why I tell people there's no difference between the addiction to strip clubs and any drugs. Thankfully, I never got into any type of narcotics. Uh, a strip club was enough to destroy my life. And you felt as though this is what you'd been looking for. Yes, sir. Yeah, Lee, I really did. I wanted acceptance. That would definitely be one thing. But at that time, I really wanted self-gratification. I wanted the immediate gratification that the pornography and the strip clubs brought. And then the money ran out. Yeah, it went out. It went out real quick. And, uh, you know, at first it was my paychecks and... Then when the paychecks were gone, I started uh, pawning small things from my parents' home. When you know that money ran out, I was at the point of, I, I don't care what happens. And I, I decided to go to a, uh, the full length, uh, and that was to do a couple robberies. I robbed a grocery store, and I robbed a bank. And when I did that, I did it to get money for another fling at the strip club. But the true motives behind the robberies were to say, well, I'm done with regular life in society. I just want to be locked up. I don't care if they throw me in there like an animal and throw me in a cage forever. I wanted out of regular society because I didn't feel I could deal with it. I knew I couldn't support my habit. I knew I was already disappointing my parents who had done nothing but love on me and try to help me. So it was just, uh, it, was, it was the ultimate cry of desperation. It seemed so relentless. There was no point in that journey where you stopped and thought, this is terrible. I've got to change. Those moments came. But I was so indwelled in the mania of the bipolar, and I was not being properly medicated. And more importantly, I wasn't calling on, on the Lord to help me, to deal with the temptations. And I just kept giving in and in and in and in. That, uh, I thought that that was basically the journey that I was going to have to go on in life, no matter what. And that journey is almost fulfilled in a way when at the age of 21 you are given a prison sentence for that bank robbery. Yes, sir. I was terrified when I went in there. I was, I, I was scared to death. I didn't know how I was going to survive. Uh, I knew that I was going to be on the bottom of the total pole when I went in there. I was not the stereotypical convict going in. Uh, I was a skinny, blue-eyed boy, and I was 21, and I really didn't know how to fight. So uh, right off the bat, the first person that could really take advantage of me, one of my first cellmates, he, he did. In the first month of being locked up in a, a Texas prison. And what did that do to you? Oh, it threw me over the edge. I was out of my mind already, and it put me into a mindset of just not caring about wanting to live or breathe another moment. And so I had a pretty serious suicide attempt uh, the, the morning after I, I was raped. Uh, I dove off a two-tier, which was about 15 feet high, and uh, I landed on, on my head. And uh, thankfully, didn't have anything more than uh, the need of about 30 stitches and a, a little headache. And the truth is that I should have been uh, dead as a doornail when I hit that that floor in that penitentiary. But it didn't happen for one reason, because God chose to intervene. 
and he had a reason for me to keep on living. Even though at that time, Lee, I sure didn't see it, but he did. He very much did. And he continued to save me over and over again. His grace was just uh, incredible to me over and over again in the penitentiary as I did other foolish things and stuff. On Open House, we're with David Rodenberg, one of the I Am Second ambassadors in our Open House series. Had you ever, up until that point or even after, wondered where God was through this whole journey, David? That is a great question, Lee. When I look back at that time, I always knew he was there. But what I did is I chose to kind of departmentalize him. I kind of I kind of put him to the back, and when I really needed him, uh, I would go to him. But then I'd put him to the side, depending on what I had going. If I was scared and I felt like I was up against the wall, like when I had a, a gang extorting me, you know, I, I would I, I would pray pray for help. But as soon as that was taken care of, I might go back on to some of the other, you know, foolishness I was participating in in, in, in prison. So I was never able, I was never willing most of that time that I was locked up to say, hey, I'm putting you first and I'm going second. Instead, it was always one foot in, one foot out. How was it that you were able to survive in jail, David? I survived... Number one, because I had a God who chose to see that I was protected and would survive. Secondly, just a human level reason why I survived is because I had a loving mother and father that supported me while I was in prison. And 95% of the men that are incarcerated anywhere on planet Earth, they don't have that, Uh, especially a father. Most men in prison never knew their father. My father passed away on my fourth year in prison, but he visited me until he physically couldn't anymore. And my mother visited me every two weeks for the time I was incarcerated. And that kept just enough of my spirit alive. No matter how bad a mania I was in, uh, they kept loving on me, and they kept promising me that there was a there was a better way. They never abandoned me. So... Those would be the two the, the two main reasons that that, that, I, that I survived. And then third, on another level, I would say just the fact that uh, I did everything I could to stay out of a gang. I never joined a gang, and I was able to re- uh, remain an uh, independent person. That would be how I survived, Lee. And ultimately, you're released from prison in 2008, and yet you immediately begin to plan another robbery. Absolutely, because... As miserable as my existence was in prison, it's all I knew. I, uh, I, I went from living under my parents' roof, being in some psychiatric hospitals, jail, prison, and now I'm being thrown back out into regular society. And it was a very, uh, I, even though I was excited about getting out and getting a good meal and hugging my mom and all that stuff, I was overwhelmed being thrown back into this uh, big metropolitan area that I live in in the United States, Dallas-Fort Worth, which would be no different than living in Sydney or uh, Melbourne. I had no idea how to get around, how to find a job or anything, because all those things were very very difficult on a man uh, with a record. And I just felt like, in a way, well, the easier way would just be to go back. And 
I still did not have proper medication for my psychiatric disorder. So there was, I still had that going on. And I still hadn't put Christ first. That's why all that came to a head like that when I got out. And then came that moment where everything changed. Can you take us through what happened there? I'd been out about six months, and it was a Monday morning, and I, I was going to set out to uh, to rob a bank. And about five more, five minutes before I left the house, uh, my mother just made a random phone call to me, and I decided to break down and tell her what was on my mind. And uh, she came home and uh, drove me to a psychiatric facility. And it was from there where things started to turn around. Uh, I got put on some good medication, and I finally came to a point of saying, you know what, uh, there is a better way. And my mom kept on telling me, there's a better way. This, this might be hard trying to live out here on the outside, but you can do it. And I just, I called on God at that moment in that psychiatric hospital and said, you know, Lord, I, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand why I'm this way, why you've made me this way, but I believe that you can help me. And so I started doing just daily prayers, and those daily prayers started getting me from one day to the next. Then before I knew it, before I knew it, I was, I was at a month. And I got to the point where I was just in join the fact that, you know what, I can survive. And instead of searching for highs that have to be in a criminal nature or doing something, you know, for gratification purposes that I shouldn't, I started to find things that I could get high on as far as just enjoying life, uh, whether it's having a good exercise routine or, or getting out and walking in a rainstorm, just enjoying the things of freedom, of being free as a man from not having to be in a prison, but more importantly, being being free, living under the grace of the Holy Spirit, and, and knowing that I don't have to give in to the urges by praying. And, and from that moment, I've still had problems. I've still had issues. But there's been a peace. There's been a peace from that moment. And I've never wanted to go back and be locked up since then. And since then, I've never been in any kind of lockup or any kind of mental hospital and uh, living a very successful life today. And yet, as you say, still dealing with those urges and with the baggage of the past. Yes, it's an important thing to note, I think, that it's, it's never quite so neat. Oh, it's... It's never neat. It's never neatly. Uh, you know, I, I've taken some strong measures to keep sobriety and keep myself uh, away from things that, that that I can use for that. Uh, for example, I do not own a computer, which is just about unheard of. But my sobriety and having victory over the demon of pornography is more important to me. So I, I, I do not deal with a computer at all. David, how was it that you were approached to become one of the I Am Second ambassadors? And what do you say that phrase, I Am Second, means to you? I was approached to do I Am Second uh, because a gentleman named Norm Miller, who helped get I Am Second going, used to be a friend of, of my father's in a church that my father was at 
in uh, Dallas, Texas, here in the U.S. And when Norm Miller read my testimony that I wrote out a few months after I went through what I just told you about, uh, he was just he was he was blown away. And so he asked I am second to consider uh, filming me. And then when they put it out there that they wanted me uh, to be filmed, I was like, sure, I'll do it. Why not? And it's been the biggest blessing of my life because I know there's been so many people that have been able to be touched by this story and hear what God has done for me and, more importantly, what he can do for them. So I, I am second I am second to me is this. It's, it's, it's real simple. You know, when your favorite team comes in second, you're not happy. When your favorite candidate comes in second, you know, you're not happy about that. Nobody – really says to themselves, I want to be second. The problem is that if at some point everybody doesn't say, hey, I have to be second and put Christ first, then they're never going to be, have the victory. They're never, they're never going to be able to enjoy life. So for me, every day that I try to live first, I never have, I never have that peaceful day. But every day that I put Christ first and I stay second. I have a day of true victory. And it doesn't matter what my list of problems have been in life, learning disabilities, bipolar, pornography, none of that matters because Christ died for it all, and it's it's a done deal. So quite simply, he is first, he has to be first, and I always will be second. David, it's now been four years since you left prison. I think it's worth quoting from your I Am Second interview. You say, I am David Rodenberg and I am second. I can't get over that he is still there and has never forsaken me. Never. Never. He never will. Never. David, it's a privilege to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Open House. Lee, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.